70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. KBS 日本語放送のリスナーラジオネームゆずと申します。私の聴取歴は今年で3年目です。my radio name is Yutsu, and I'm a regular listener of KBS World Radio Japanese Service. I live in Sapporo, Hokkaido. My listening experience of three years is nothing compared to long-time listeners, but I tune in daily because it is so interesting. KBS World Radio Japanese Service is like a friend who brings updates from Korea. I can get information about my favorite K-dramas and movies, while I can communicate with other listeners through listener comments on all the programs. I did a phone interview earlier this year, and the listeners were so kind. It's become a great memory for me. After the COVID-19 restrictions were lifted, I see many Korean tourists here in Hokkaido. I plan to visit Seoul to experience Korea firsthand. I promise I will keep tuning in. I love you, KBS World Radio Japanese Service. Seventy years with KBS World Radio, seventy years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. Hello, it's December 22nd. Welcome to our Friday edition of Korea 24. I'm your host, Daniel Che, filling in for Kwan Jang Ho. With the nation experiencing the coldest weather this winter so far, thousands are stranded at airports and homes without running water. The freezing conditions will likely linger through the weekend. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. Coming up for weekly economy review, we'll have a breakdown of the 2024 national budget finally passed after delays. Plus, a very special festive interview with members of the Boys Choir Boni Pere, who stopped by our studios to give our listeners a little Christmas present. Stay with us for all this and more on today's Korea 24. The coldest weather of the winter season thus far has left thousands stranded at airports and residents without running water nationwide. Our KBS World Radio News Editor Kui Jin joins us in the studio to update us on the havoc caused by the blizzard, as well as our other headlines of the day. Hello, Hui Jin. Hello, Daniel. So we're, near, we're hearing that flights have finally started to take off from the worst hit Jeju International Airport. Uh, first, can you outline the consequences of the snowstorm? Yes, heavy snows and freezing temperatures have burst water pipes and grounded both domestic and international flights, leaving thousands of holidaymakers stranded at airports across the nation. Domestic travellers waited for hours as some 159 departure flights uh, nationwide were grounded due to frigid conditions, while 25 ferries running on 15 routes were suspended. The southern resort island of Jeju saw a pileup of 
of some 8,000 travellers at the airport alone as hundreds of flights were cancelled Thursday and Friday. Jeju International Airport officials said uh, flights have finally resumed as of 4pm Friday after nearly eight hours of de-icing operations on the runway. Snowfall in Jeju reached as high as 82 centimetres or 32 inches atop the Samgakbong peak on Hala Mountain. Well, certainly some good news for the thousands of travelers still remaining at the airport. What about the rest of the country? Well, the disaster, uh, Central Disaster and Safety Countermeasures Headquarters said 173 cases of frozen water meters were reported as of 6 a.m. Friday, 120 of which were concentrated in the capital area, with six cases of frozen pipes also inflicting discomfort. A heavy snowfall in Kunsan, North Chola province, caused the collapse of two livestock housing facilities and one greenhouse and resulted in traffic restrictions in South Chungcheong province and seven in South Chola province. And the Korea Meteorological Administration, or the KMA, has warned that conditions are likely to remain this way until Sunday. Indeed. Um, Friday's afternoon's highs are expected to be similar to Thursday's, uh, ranging from minus 9 to minus 2 degrees Celsius, including minus 7 for Seoul, with little relief on Saturday before gradually rising from Sunday. The Korea Meteorological Administration said the snowfall plaguing airports, roads and farms will continue into Sunday along the West Coast and on Jeju Island. And we, of course, advise our listeners in Korea to stay safe and take necessary precautions ahead of the chill this Christmas weekend. Mm-hmm. Turning to some of our other headlines, Hijin, South Korea has reportedly donated demining machines to Ukraine as humanitarian assistance. What can you tell us about this? Well, according to the South Korean embassy in Ukraine on Thursday, two demining machines and 10 pickup trucks were handed over to Ukraine at a ceremony in Kiev in a partial fulfillment of an earlier aid promise of 10 demining machines machines and 100 trucks in total. In May, President Yoon Suk-yeol pledged to provide demining equipment in talks with Ukraine President uh, Volodymyr Zelensky on the sidelines of the Group of Seven Summit in Japan. Since uh, Russia's invasion in uh, February of last year, about 30% of Ukraine's uh, territory is suspected to be contaminated with landmines, uh, which have killed 250 civilians and injured 500. Moving on to our next story, the chief of the Russian general staff, Valery Grasimov, reportedly said on Thursday that Russia has established active and comprehensive cooperation with North Korea. Do fill us in. Well, according to Reuters and other media, the army general made the remarks in a briefing of foreign military attaches, adding that Moscow is continuing to pursue strategic partnerships with India and China. Military ties and cooperation between Russia and and the North uh, appear to have significantly enhanced this year. Uh, Moscow's defense minister, uh, Sergei Shoigu, visited Pyongyang in July before regime leader Kim Jong-un made a rare trip to his country's northern neighbor for a summit with Russian President Vladimir Putin at a space center in September. The United States and other nations have repeatedly voiced concerns that North Korea provided arms to Russia in return for military technology. And here in the nation in South Korea, the leader of the controversial religious organization known as Jesus Morning Star or JMS has been sentenced to 23 years in prison for sexual offenses. Can you elaborate further? 
Yes, uh, the Daejeon District Court on Friday handed down the prison term to 78-year-old uh, Chun Myung-sok after finding him guilty of sexually assaulting and molesting two female followers of foreign nationality on a total of 23 occasions between February 2018 and September 2021. He was also found guilty of sexually ab- abusing a South Korean female follower and making false statements by denying the allegations brought forth by the two foreign victims. Prosecutors initially demanded a 30-year prison term for the JMS leader. Chang refers to himself as the Messiah or the second coming of Jesus and was released in 2018 after serving 10 years in prison for raping a number of female followers and embezzling funds from his religious organization. Well, staying here in the nation, the suspected vandal behind the graffiti on the walls of the historic Gyeongbok Palace allegedly received instructions to deface the statue of King Sejong in Gwangmun Square. Can you explain further? Well, according to the police, on Thursday, the 17-year-old suspect, surnamed uh, Lim, uh, contacted a person identified as team leader Lee, who offered 3 million won, or around 2,300 US dollars, in a telegram chat room to anyone who wanted to work. Lim was uh, allegedly told to paint graffiti at the palace and other areas at 2 a.m. on December 16th with two 50,001 transfers to his bank account as a deposit and reimbursement for taxi fares. The suspect then ordered to was then ordered to spray paint the statue in the, in the nearby square but did not follow instructions saying that security was too tight. Lim's 16-year-old girlfriend surnamed Kim who was also apprehended was released due to her lack of involvement. Right. Uh, we'll probably have more updates on the developments as we get them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll move on to a more positive story this time. Some breakthrough achievements. A film on the human rights of North Korean defectors has been shortlisted for the 96th Academy Awards in the category of documentary feature film. Do give us the details. Yes, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences unveiled its shortlist for the 2024 Oscars in 10 categories, including doc- uh, documentary features, international features and documentary short subjects. Beyond Utopia, directed by Madeleine Gavin, was among 15 full-length documentaries that made the shortlist out of a total of 115 submissions with five final nominees to be uh, officially announced next month along with the remaining categories. The 96th Academy Awards will be held on March 11th next year at the Dolby Theatre in Los Angeles. All right, Heijin, thank you for those stories and updates. We appreciate it. Thank you. The National Assembly on Thursday passed next year's budget plan worth 656.6 trillion won. At the first time, Parliament passed a government's budget plan after cutting the initial motion and likely won't be the last. To help us take a deeper dive into this story, Professor Yang jun suk from Catholic University of Korea joins us in the studio. Great to have you with us, Professor Young. Happy to be here. First of all, let's start with a breakdown of the 2024 budget. What stuck out to you the most? Okay, well, as you mentioned, the uh, spending submitted by uh, the government originally uh, was 656.9 trillion won. That was 2.8 percent above the uh, 2023 uh, budget spending, Uh, and this was the uh, largest 
main budget in terms of spending in Korean history. It's the second largest if supplementary, but spending is also included. And then tax receipts uh, were estimated to be down by 2.2% compared to 2023. So one of the big controversies that we had last year uh, or a big controversy we had concerning the budget was that uh, at least when it was submitted, the budget deficit was uh, more than 3% of GDP, which was uh, above the goal set by the uh, Yoon government. Uh, but also, uh, to achieve this goal, there was elimination of uh, government spending for R&D spending and for regional currency, which was very, very controversial. Uh, but uh, with the uh, discussions in the National Assembly, some of these uh, spending has been restored. Uh, but amazingly, apparently, they kept the total amount of spending the same. Uh, now, we won't know definitely until the uh, National Assembly Budget Office finishes calculating. But right now, it seems like the total amount of spending will not be raised all that much, uh, but uh, some categories like R&D spending and regional cash, the uh, money cut will be uh, restored and in case of R&D even increased. There's also budget for Semangum, uh, which had been cut. A lot of people believe that was punishment for bad performance during the uh, World Scout Jamboree, uh, but uh, that budget is partially restored. Uh, so uh, in that sense, we're back to perhaps a more traditional budget, uh, but high spending and high budget deficit remains a problem. So, uh, twenty-six and a half trillion won earmark for supporting R and D, six hundred billion won more than the government's proposal. What's your take on this increase? Okay, well, uh, President Yoon had argued that R&D spending was uh, wasteful and inefficient uh, due to so-called research cartels who colluded on bidding for projects and uh, the uh, funds that they received were not being used efficiently. He does have a point. Uh, Korea has the second largest R&D spending as a proportion of GDP and per capita uh, among the OECD countries. It is also the fifth largest in terms of uh, active actual amount of R&D spending. But while Korean uh, researchers uh, receive relatively large amount of money, uh, the uh, research generated is not necessarily all that successful. Korea does uh, generate a lot of patents, but the most are considered not very valuable and not very revolutionary. Uh, so uh, that was the reason President Yoon gave for cutting the R&D budget. But President uh, Paradoxically, President Yoon also wants productivity to increase for Korean economy. Uh, and if you wanted to do that, you do need a strong R&D spending. Uh, so uh, President Yoon was broadly criticized uh, for cutting down uh, the R&D spending. Later, he sort of took back what he said originally, saying that the government will fully back ambitious R&D projects, even if they may not succeed. And basic research by universities would also be fully funded. Uh, well, as somebody who works in a university, uh, the budget cut did not exactly uh, take place like that. Uh, apparently, there was an across-the-board cut, uh, so uh, even basic research uh, did take a cut. Uh, and hopefully, some of those uh, basic research funds will be restored. A lot of the R&D spending, what, we, uh, what politicians may think of as being spent wastefully, is actually going into infrastructure and keeping R&D personnel uh, paid uh, when they're between projects. 
So let's talk about local voucher program. There's a budget spike of three hundred billion one earmark for this purpose. Could you uh, specifically fill us on on the fill us in on the purpose of the vouchers and perhaps their effectiveness? Okay. Well, uh, originally the uh, local voucher or regional uh, cash uh, was supposed to vitalize the local economy by encouraging people to spend money on the local economy. When I say local economy, I mean maybe province or city rather than the entire country. Uh, since the the uh, regional cash is not usable outside that local area. And then the uh, regional cash was also uh, justified by saying that this will help the uh, shop owners and uh, merchants in the local area uh, because uh, hopefully the uh, regional cash will uh, get more customers using these local markets. Uh, but if you look at the uh, mechanism involved as well as the uh, economic theory, uh, then regional cash is not very successful. Uh, and the reason is that it may not generate any new spending. It may just replace the uh, spending that you would have done anyway. Uh, so let me give you an example. Let's say you were going to spend uh, 100,000 won in uh, the local market, but you were going to use cash. Well, if the government gives you uh, regional cash, uh, then you may, instead of spending cash, you would spend the regional cash, then use the cash to buy goods elsewhere outside the local area. So the entire success of the uh, regional cash program depends, first of all, on whether any new demand is generated, and that is questionable. Uh, they may, uh, the uh, people may just use the regional cash uh, to, in the end, just save money and not spend any more. Uh, they would just replace spending cash with spending regional cash and save the cash. And then, uh, then the uh, second purpose, helping the local merchants. Well, the, uh, you help the local merchants by uh, buying things from their store using the regional cash. Uh, but the problem is, uh, well, if the, if, uh, the uh, shops uh, are receiving regional cash, then they're probably doing very well because they're still continuing to sell the products. People who really need help, people who uh, are not able to sell their products, they're not getting any regional cash. Uh, so... Uh, if you wanted to help those local merchants, the best way to do it is to not uh, give regional cash to consumers, but just give the, give the uh, merchants cash directly. Uh, but regional cash doesn't do that. Uh, so um, there's some questions on the efficiency of regional cash. Uh, there's also been a lot of acquisition. Uh, acqu uh, accusation uh, that the regional cash program was cut because it's a, uh, pro, uh, it's a program that's backed by the opposition Democratic Party and its current leader, Lee Jae-myung in particular. Uh, but uh, the uh, money for a regional cash program has been restored. Uh, I think that's a... I'm not too happy about uh, regional cash being re restored, but I think it's a reasonable case of give and take in a uh, budget negotiation. All right, Professor Young, thank you for not just showing us how much, but how the money will be spent as we move on to a new year. We appreciate your insights. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index shed 0.51 points, or 0.02% on Friday, to close the week at 2,599.51. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also fell, 
slipping 4.82 points, or 0.56%, to close at 854.62. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 2.11 against the U.S. dollar, closing the day at 1,303.1. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. Next, we have Korea Trending. This is where we check out keywords and issues trending online in South Korea, handpicked by the Korea 24 team. To bring us these stories, we have Diane Yu. Diane, great to see you. Hello, Daniel. Good to see you, too. Let's get straight into the first story. Today is the epitome of what winter is, with the longest night of the year and the shortest amount of daylight. Called Dongji in Korean, people celebrate the winter solstice by having a bowl of patjuk, a type of red bean porridge. So the day is also called the day of eating patjuk. It's made using sweet red beans and rice flour dumplings known as cheashim. Eating the soup symbolizes the beginning of the new year, and people say that those who eat it grow a year older. Right, we're used to being told to have a bowl of patjuk on Dongji since childhood, but we don't really get to hear about the history behind this tradition. Right. That's why we turn to you, Diane. Yes, so the custom of boiling and eating red bean porridge on the winter solstice is believed to have originated from Chinese customs. The son of, the son of Gong Gong, a character in ancient Chinese mythology who ruled over rivers, died on the winter solstice and became a ghost who spreads contagious diseases. And it's said that because the deceased son was afraid of red beans, people ate the porridge on the winter solstice to chase away evil spirits. And that's where the legends begin. As you said in the beginning, people treated Dongji like a little solar, a little lunar new year. Right. So because Dongji has the longest night of the year, people used to believe that negative energy reached its peak on that day. However, after Dongji, as the hours of daylight get longer, positive energy is revived. So Dongji traditionally marked the actual beginning of the new year. Uh, thanks to the red color of Patjuk, which people believe brings positive energy, it's seen as the perfect food to help with living a healthy life without contracting infectious diseases in the new year. And perhaps their beliefs weren't all based on folklore. It's been found that red beans are beneficial for urination and bring about various health effects such as relieving edema, inflammation, and alcohol poisoning. So have a bowl of pachuk today, everyone, and happy Dongji. Right. Believe, consume, and achieve positive energy. Right. <laughs> so let's move on to the next story you have for us. South Korean footballer Hwang Hee-chan is enjoying his best season yet in the English Premier League. He is currently Wolverhampton Wanderers FC's top goal scorer this season and is sixth overall in the Premier League. It seems like the relationship between the club and the 27-year-old footballer is at an all-time high, and they want to keep working together. On Thursday local time, Wolverhampton Wanderers FC announced on their official homepage that Huang has signed a new long-term contract. The contract period is until 2028 with an option of a further 12 months. Oh, a no-brainer. Win-win for both sides. Yes. I believe the EPL team went into detail about the relationship with the South Korean star and why they wanted to keep him on board so bad. Right. The club explained that Huang's excellent performances on the pitch and great relationship with other members led the club to decide on the contract renewal. Matt Hobbs, the club's sporting director, said Huang has always given everything since his arrival in 2021. There were some bumps along the way. The South Korean had a difficult period last season due to injury, which saw him grab only four goals. But now he has turned it around, having scored nine goals overall in league and cup games. 
right? Chemistry is all important to be a team first player, of course, is a very strong selling point. Huang must be thrilled to sign the contract. He showed his love for the team and the fans. Mm. Did he give any comment on the announcement? He did. The 27-year-old attacker is definitely thrilled to be a Wolves player until well into his 30s. Commenting on his thoughts on renewing the contract, Huang said that he's really happy to stay at the club and gave thanks to his teammates, staff, family, and fans. And he added that he thinks of his teammates as good friends and good brothers. He also showed his enthusiasm towards the upcoming games by saying that he'll continue to do his best to bring out the best results. I'm sure that the fans are looking forward to seeing what the Korean star can do in the future. Back with the squad. Let's move on to our third story. 2023 is coming to an end, which means numerous awards highlighting works and achievements this year are taking place one after another. And to celebrate the excellence in cinematic achievements, the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences, which hosts the Oscars, will announce the shortlist of 10 categories on Thursday local time. And Korean-Canadian director Celine Swan film, Past Lives, was nominated in the original song category at the 96th Academy Awards, which will be held next March. That's correct. Celine Song's movie with the song titled Quiet Eyes will be competing against three tracks from the uh, blockbuster hit Barbie, right? Right. The song titled Quiet Eyes will be competing against three tracks from the movie Barbie, including Dance the Night Away and Am I Dreaming from Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. This is just a preliminary round, so the final candidate list will be announced on January 23rd, 2024, Tuesday local time. And the award ceremony is slated to be held at the Dolby Theater in Los Angeles on March 10th, which can be enjoyed worldwide as it'll be televised live in more than 200 territories. Could be very challenging. Barbie is seen as the frontrunner for the award, of mm. course, uh, an iconic character in a very impressive movie. But yeah. Past Lives has a good chance to win other awards as well. Correct. It earned five nominations at the 81st Golden Globe Awards, which will be held on January 7th and was shortlisted in three categories at the Critics' Choice Awards. And that's all we have for today's Korea Trending. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll see you again next time, Diane. See you next time. Time now for Movie Spotlight, where we discuss some of the latest releases on streaming services or the local box office. Film critic Darcy Parkett is here in the studio with us. Hello, Darcy. Hi. Good to be here. Good to have you with us. The first film we'll be talking about this week is the big release of the holiday season, Noryang Deadly Sea, opened on Wednesday, making a big splash on day one, grossing three times more than rival release Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. We're excited to see if it will be another solid box office smash after the success of 12-12 The Day. Darcy, do tell us a little bit more about this film. Yes. So if we go back to 2014, uh, the director Kim Han-min released this film called the Admiral Roaring Currents, or Myeongyang in Korea. And it's about you know the famous naval victory by Admiral Isun Shin over the Japanese in 1597. Uh, there have been a lot of Korean films that have been made about this over the years, but this movie went on to set a new all-time box office record. Uh, it sold 17.6 million admissions, uh, which is the record that still holds today. And having been so successful and having created such a big splash, the director announced plans to make two more follow-ups to that, um, to focus on two of other, like two other famous battles by Isun Shin. Uh, so last year, Hansan Rising Dragon was released in July, 
and that focused on a battle near Hansan Island that took place five years before the events of the first film. And now they're rounding up the trilogy with Noryang Deadly Sea, uh, which depicts the final battle around Noryang Strait. It takes place in 1598, and this is the battle that effectively ended Japan's invasion of Korea. Right. First, we had Byungyang, which we had uh, home fans screaming in cinemas out of Troy, and we had a prequel, and now a sequel. What was special about this particular battle compared to the previous ones? Well, Isun Shin dies, <laughs> and I mean that's—it's not really a spoiler because the film assumes from the beginning that the audience is going to know this, and in fact, it's better if you know it when going into the film. Uh, but you know, the film kind of plays with audiences' expectations about that. Um, So, I mean, obviously, you know, this was the you know the last battle uh, of Yi Sun-shin. It was also one of the biggest. Uh, you know, this battle resulted in more deaths than any other battle of this invasion. Uh, and it also, you know, by this point in the war, Ming Dynasty China was uh, fighting alongside Korea. Uh, there was an interesting kind of collaboration that took place between the two powers during this um, battle, which plays out in the film as well. Right. It seemed like they breathe a little bit more life and put more dimension in what would be villains or the great characters compared to the previous editions. Uh, the director used different actors for Yi Sun-shin in each film, Chim Min-shik of old boy fame, Park Hale of decision to leave. And uh, this time taking the role, we have a very different actor, much portraying a much older Yi Sun-shin. Uh, which is your particular favorite? Yes. I mean, this time we have Kim Yun-seok, who, I mean... Viewers may have seen him in Escape from Mogadishu or The Chaser or many other films because he is one of the top actors of the past decade, uh, decade and a half. And it's really interesting to compare the performances. I think I kind of like Kim Yun Sook's performance the best. Uh, each of them have a very different energy. So I mean, Chae Min Sheik is, you know, kind of legendary in the film industry for his energy that he brings to his performances. He's kind of like the Al Pacino of the. Korean film industry, and sometimes you know directors have to kind of rein him in because he has you know so much that he puts into his performances. Um, you know, going to Pakil from last year, uh, he portrayed a younger Eason Shin, one who hadn't really proved himself at that point, and so was you know fighting to uh, overcome the doubts about him. But I mean, that was much more of a uh, kind of an inward focus, kind of intense. Energy. You could sense his strong sense of determination. I think that was emphasized in the performance. Um, and I like Kim Yun Sok's because, I mean, he has the ability to not really be doing much with his face and yet to express so much. And so you can kind of feel his experience just in his eyes and the way that you know he looks at the world. Um, he doesn't have to really raise his voice or do all these dramatic types of. Scenes in order to, you know, to underline his presence and his, you know, by this point I think he had, you know, a great understanding of what he needed to do, and of course there, are, you know, various conflicts that take place within the film, uh, but he also feels much more human. I mean, we see him having these nightmares, and he seems much more aware of his own mortality, um, which of course plays in with how the film is going to end. Um, But yes, I, th I do think among the three, I didn't expect this going into the film, but I think I like 
Kimian Suk's performance the best. I agree with you. I do feel that the two previous actors, they bring a lot of energy and a lot of aggression yes. <laughs> uh, to the character, which is appropriate. But Kim Yoon-suk, uh, as you mentioned, the eyes do a lot of acting there. Mm-hmm. Less is more. I would say some would compare him to uh, the acting using just the eyes and the expressions of Tony Leung to a certain degree. Yeah, yeah. Of course, there's a lot of facial hair and armor covering, so you see <laughs> more of the eyes than anything else. Yeah. So yeah, the, previ- <laughs> right. uh, the previous films, more or less... An hour of talk, an hour of battle. <laughs> is it the same this time around? I mean, it is. I, I guess it's inevitable when you make a movie about the battle that you have to set it up in the first hour and kind of, you know, figure out all the different strategies that are going to take place and the the conflicts, you know, that run underneath the major conflict. Um, but, I mean, ultimately, the selling point of these films are going to be these really elaborately staged battle sequences. And... Yeah, and that's what the audience goes for. And so they, they do last a long time. Uh, I mean, the first one, in the first film, it was over an hour. And a lot of people kind of drew attention to the fact that, uh, you know, normally battle sequences are, you know, those type of scenes in the film don't take up half the film. But in this case, uh, it did kind of justify that. Um, and it's been really inter- interesting to compare in the three films about the battles as well. Uh, I mean, particularly, I think we did see a big difference between the second film and the first one, because, you know, eight years passed uh, between the release of the first film and the second film. And the Korean film industry continues to develop in terms of its technological capacity and uh, special effects. Um, and so this one, it, um, I don't know, it, it, it doesn't feel that much different than Hansan uh, from last year. The, um, it's a different type of battle, though, because it's more of a, a scrappy kind of you know, particularly once they get into the middle of it, it's a lot of kind of up-close fighting that takes place. Uh, whereas with Hansan, it was more kind of this, you know, brilliant strategy, and we have the crane's wing formation and everything else that kind of traps the uh, the enemy. Uh, so in that sense, it is a different feel to it. But um, yeah, I think in general, I think sea battles are a challenge to shoot because you have... Um, I don't know, it's hard to know where to put the camera. You know, you have to focus on the different characters and the ships, but uh, if you're just looking at a ship on the sea, it's hard to get a real sense of where it is located to everything else. And even when you pull back to a great distance, you know, things look kind of chaotic on the sea. Um, And, you know, this film does suffer a little bit from that. You know, in the middle of the battle, I was a bit disoriented, but, um, but it was always dynamic. Right. If it's too dark, it's hard to tell. But if it's not dark enough, it might seem too light at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this battle takes place throughout the night as well. <laughs> the sun only rises at the end, towards right. the end of the battle. When it comes to the special effects, we've come a long way. We're not uh, uh, very heavily dependent on it as a crutch. It's just one of the tools we use. So overall, what are your thoughts on this movie? Yeah, I mean, these. I'm not crazy about these films in general. Um, but I was. I mean, I was impressed with everything that went into making it and that they were able to um, kind of pull it off to the extent that they did. Uh, again, if you know, if you sat me down and kind of told me the, the synopsis of the film and um, you know, not knowing anything else and then going in to watch it, I'd expect something less dynamic than this. Uh, I'm impressed with the ability of the director to kind of keep things moving and, and certainly Kim Yun-suk added a lot to that. So, um, you know, there's a lot riding on this movie uh, the film industry is really hoping for another hit. Uh, they've had one in the second half of this year, but they could really use a second one. Uh, but this was an incredibly expensive movie to produce, and so they'll need to sell, I think, 7.2 million tickets just to break even. 
um, which incidentally is what the previous film grossed. So we'll see. I mean, people in the industry are hoping that audiences will check it out. And it's not going to have a lot of competition at the, the box office because Aquaman looks like a dud. and There's not much opening in the coming weeks. Difficult time for uh, fictional heroes when we talk about <laughs> uh, actual heroes based on history. Mm. Also difficult for the director to decide how much of a, uh, I suppose, liberty they might take in terms of artistic visual effects or at the same time portraying the facts as they were. Uh, we're moving on to our second film, a documentary classic film, Crescendo, a director by, by director Heather Wilk follows contestants from around the world competing in the 2022 Van Cliburn International Piano Competition in Fort Worth, Texas. There's a Korean connection to this story as well, right, Darcy? That's right. And I'm going to spoil the ending of this film again. <laughs> this is like spoiler week. But, I mean, everybody knows, you know, it's on the poster, it's in the film's marketing materials, because 2022 happened to the year, be the year that this, you know, piano sensation, Im Yun-chan, um, became the youngest person ever to win this competition. And, you know, the win launched him into fame. He's, you know, already kind of a, a national hero in some ways in Korea, but... Um, you know, critics just rave over his performances, and he's still so young that, um, you know, his career is only just beginning to take off. A lot of his performances from the competition uh, were widely viewed on YouTube, and so some viewers might be familiar with those and may have seen them. Uh, but this documentary, you know, it takes us behind the scene. It explains how the competition works. It introduces us to a lot of the other competitors. Um, and so it's a different perspective on on what happened, even if viewers are familiar with it. Uh, the movie itself, it premiered at the Chunju, or sorry, the Jecheon International Music and Film Festival this summer, and then it was released in theaters just a couple of days ago. So, again, we go to the proportion part of the movie. How much of the documentary is centered on Im Yun-chan, and how much of it is on the competition in general? It's funny, because as you're watching, you can tell that, um, you know, the thing about documentaries is you don't know how they're going to turn out, and so you have to start shooting them before you know how they're going to end. And so there isn't a lot of focus on him at the beginning. You know, there are focusing really on the other characters, you know, the other contestants in this. And there are several stages where, you know, they start off with 30 competitors and then it's, you know, whittled down to 18. And then, you know, for their different steps and people are eliminated. And it's only sort of after the first stage or so that... Um, you can sense that, you know, the filmmakers and perhaps the other people in the competition start to catch wind of the fact that, you know, there's this young kid here is something really special. And so at that point, you know, we start getting more interviews with him. Uh, but actually, a lot of the, the interviews with him were shot after the, the competition was over. Uh, but they edit those in. Um, and yeah, so basically, you know, the, apart from this kind of opening section featuring him, uh, you know, as you go through the documentary, it becomes more and more about him. Right. The fun part of a documentary is that they show the process, not just the product. Mm -hmm. And it's, there's no script to it, of course. Uh, what do you think was the most interesting part about the documentary in particular? Uh, I mean, certainly the music is great. If you like classical music, then there's a lot to, to like about this. Um, I mean, personally, what I really found interesting about this was just to look at the different personalities of the, the contestants involved. And, you know, I mean, all of these contestants are, you know, really kind of, you know, sensitive people in terms of their personalities. Um, and they have this incredible ability to express emotion through music. Um, 
so it was, but it was interesting just to see them tr- expressing themselves through words because I mean there is kind of a range. Some of them are are quite good at expressing themselves even when it's in a foreign language uh, because English is not you know the first language for many of them. Um, others really kind of struggle to put their feelings in words or or they're just very withdrawn and they don't show any great excitement or anything else. <laughs> they're, very, they're so level-headed uh, when they're in the middle of this really dramatic competition. Uh, and so the range of, of personalities involved, and I, I just found myself getting really caught up in, in their stories as I was watching it. Right. They're all very unique in their own ways, and they're able to channel all their energy into this little pinhole, which is the arts, the piano, and, of course, their classical musical performances. Right. Uh, musicians and those with knowledge or experience in classical music will all agree that Im's performance just is simply mind-blowing. Mm. Uh, it will be quite a treat to see more than just the highlight clips, but a big part of the, his journey. Uh, Darcy, once again, thank you so much for making time for us today. We appreciate it. Yes. Uh, thanks. Have a great, great weekend. You too. Truth is, I am Iron Man. Hong Yong Korea, this is Bob Layton, co-creator of Iron Man. You are listening to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio. We have a very special festive interview here for our special edition of Korea 24. Over 30 young students, musicians in their own right, here in the studio with us from the Czech Republic. They're members of the boys' choir, Boni Puera, and they're one of Europe's most famous musical ensembles. They're touring South Korea right now for a series of Christmas concerts. And with us, we have uh, conductor Marek Strich joining us to provide a brief introduction of the boys as well. It's great to have you with us here. Thank you for having us. Well, boys, hello to you too. Hello. Great to have you with us. So first of all, could you give us a brisk introduction of the choir Boni Puri? Yes, of course. So our choir has a very long history that, that comes back to medieval times, uh, to year 1252 when, uh, when Boni Puri Choir was uh, established at, at uh, Prague St. Vitus uh, Cathedral. Our a choir is uh, giving hundreds of concerts around the uh, world, and we are happy to be in South Korea again. Uh, you have a very strong fan base in Korea, of course. Uh, how long have you been a conductor of Bonipura? So my tenure started at the uh, year 2019 in very difficult uh, times, and of course before that I was, uh, I was in uh, artistic touch with, with this ensemble and doing some some projects, but on a regular basis, I, I, I do work uh, from two, 2019. Right, those are hard times, and you brave through them, and you led them through the prom- through those hard times to the promised land here. And uh, it's the 10th time Boni Puri has come to Korea. Have you visited Korea before? Uh, unfortunately, this is my first time uh, in South Korea with the group and in South Korea in general, but of course, uh, this choir was very, very, very often uh, here and uh, last time six years ago, a long six, uh, six years, and uh, we are happy to be to be back uh, with this great, uh, great uh, Korean audiences, uh, great uh, halls, and uh, we enjoy being here very, very much. So, from six years back, are, any, are there any uh, members or staff that's still with the group? 
they've been to Korea before? I think for for sure probably the the, the our older uh, members. Right, the bigger boys at the back, of yeah. course. Uh, uh, raise your hands if you've been to Korea before. Oh, obviously at the back. Uh, so uh, who is visiting Korea for the first time? Wow, so more than half. Uh, may I ask uh, for maybe your first impression of Korea? Korea is so nice. Uh, it has beautiful uh, trees, uh, rivers. Uh, we have a lot, lot of audiences in here and it... It has many nice people in there in Korea, and I think Voita may to say something. Anything in particular that you enjoyed while you were in Korea performing? There's a very friendly people, and so is a beautiful city. The, those are pretty on point, of course. Uh, let's move on to our next story. Uh, back to you, Mr. Sterling. Uh, tell us more about the program that you have in store. You had in store for us this year. So of course uh, we uh, we we want to present uh, the best from our repertoire, from the classical music, of course, uh, classical Czech music, uh, Dvořák, Smetana, uh, of course, also the highlights from classical music like uh, Handel, Hallelujah. Uh, but of course, we bring also some uh, Christmas music to bring the right Christmas uh, spirit. Uh, so we have uh, famous uh, Christmas carols and songs from all around the world, uh, and also a little bit from the Czech Czech Christmas carols. What do you think are some of the standout factors that makes your voice in the choir different from the rest? Well, I think the the Czech uh, the Czech boys uh, choir school is very very usual in world. And uh, this this concept of uh, our choir is also very very unique, and 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 the way we we teach, sing, and the way we we organize uh, the group that is what what makes uh, our ensemble so 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 unique and uh, probably so 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 famous. And I think we still keep our very original. Uh, sound of the ensemble that is coming from generation to 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 generation, but there is something that 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 stays in the in the sound sound uh, quality. So yeah, that's 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 why. It's amazing that you have a system where the boys can fully immerse in the musical program while pursuing their studies and their other endeavors as well, which I find very admirable. Uh, can you tell us more about what you will be performing today? So today. Uh, we 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 want to bring uh, some very nice Christmas uh, spirit, and we will have a very famous song. Santa Claus is coming to town. A classic, uh, all-time favorite around the world, of course. Uh, KBS World Radio, of course, reaches almost all corners of the globe virtually. We are broadcasting in this interview shortly before Christmas. Do you have anything to tell our listeners across the globe? I wish everyone. Merry Christmas, Christmas in peace for everyone, and uh, I wish everybody to have people you, you love and you like to have them around you for this Christmas. Right, being around the people uh, you yeah. care and uh, making time for them and being there is most important. Anything yeah. the boys would like to share with the rest of the world? Any message? No? 
I guess you pretty much resonate what they would like to tell the rest of the world. They're very fluent in English and Korean as well. I, I experienced uh, according to our recent uh, uh, short little uh, encounters, but they're quite shy other than performing their music. Thank you so much for being here with us and uh, here's wishing you a Merry Christmas in advance. Again, thank you for making time for us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. That's all the time we have for today's Korea 24. This is the last show before Christmas Day on Monday. We will air thanks to you a program thanking KBS World Radio's listeners as we mark our 70th anniversary. This has been Daniel Chefilin in for Kwon Jang-ho, who will be back on Tuesday with our regular broadcast. Again, thank you, Bonnie Perry, for joining us. They will help us wrap things up by performing their enchanting rendition of Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Merry Christmas from the Korea 24 team. KBS World Radio.